Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Bring, bring it fast. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host Kevin DeVries and if you'd like to reach us at the podcast you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi I'm Sean Whetstone at West Ham Football on Twitter. This is my first podcast of the season. Uh, uh, quite a happy hammer at the moment so you can find me. I write, I'm associate editor at clarenthugh.info, a big number one independent West Ham blog. I also write for another blog called West Ham Till I Die. And I'm a presenter on a podcast called More Than Just a Podcast.co.uk. That's me. Hi, I'm Jay. I'm editor of TheEaglesBeak.com, a Palace fan site by fans for fans. I also write for StalkSport.com, generally sport-related, a bit of of football, a bit of NFL, you're that. And I also have a weekly column in the Croydon Advertiser. So uh, to catch us on The EaglesBeak is is where I mostly am, is uh, on Twitter at TheEaglesBeak. Hi guys, I'm Jim. I'm the uh, Leicester City representative for the EPL Roundtable. Um, I'm chief betting editor at Goal.com and you can find me at wheelofbetting.co.uk as well. Um, I'm on Twitter at JimKnight88. Great, thanks so much for joining us guys. Up first we have Making the Rounds where we'll each discuss what's been happening at our clubs this week. Uh, Sean, you haven't been in on the offseason. I trust you've been pleased with all of that, but I'm sure that you want to get to talking about yesterday's result. Well, before I start on yesterday's result, because I haven't been there, let's, let's just take a little bit of glory about Emirates as well, and, and a little bit of trivia first. You may not know, but West Ham were the last team to beat Arsenal at Tybury, and the first team to beat Arsenal at the Emirates. And, and after that win, probably 10 years ago, we haven't had much success there, as you know, that, that Arsenal usually win at home. Um, so what a great way to start the season uh, with a win, 2-0 win against Arsenal, giving it so much chat about winning the league and this is going to be their best start, etc. Um, I'm going to fast forward over the next two games, even though Jim might not let me. And, you know, I, I said this, I, I was talking on, on TalkSport uh, earlier this week, and I said, you know, the Leicester game was a what I call the manager bounce with the tinker man in charge and we've seen that before and, and then the new Premier League boys bounce of Bournemouth and, and, and certainly on the Bournemouth side they've done really well they're really passionate but you know often we see these teams do really well at the beginning of the season and fade and die but let's talk about the big big game and that is beating Liverpool at Anfield 3-0 first time in 52 years 1963 when the Beatles were at number one is the last time we won there They've been a bogey sign for many years. I've been to the uh, to Anfield uh, two or three times uh, in in the last um, ten years, hoping to be uh, the year that we um, overcome them. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't there yesterday. A lot of my friends were, uh, and magical. You know, we're still on cloud nine 
um, that you know that we beat them in such an emphatic manner as well. You know, um, it's a topsy turvy start for West Ham. A hundred percent record away against two of the big teams, and uh, no disrespect to the other two teams, but uh, a zero percent record at home uh, against two of I'm going to just call them two of the lesser teams. Um, and you know, amazing start. Exactly where we would expect to be. Six points uh, in in what is it, eighth place, uh, but not not the results we expected. But I, I'm uh, still dying out on this, and it's a shame. Gags, um, aka uh, Anfield Index, and, and Jim Fishlock, uh, who, who used to come on this podcast before they became interested in other things, aren't here for me to rip this evening. But uh, there you go. Happy Hammer. <laughs> no doubt. All right, Jay, no stranger to the upset yourself yesterday as you toppled title holders Chelsea. What have you made of Palace's weekend? Obviously, that result. Yeah, well, I'll have to beg to differ with Sean there. The big game of the weekend was at Stanford Bridge. <laughs> Obviously, Palace taking on Chelsea. Um, our way form is incredible, and we showed it once again. Uh, and I think if you look at the game and look at some of the highlights, you could uh, you could be fooled into thinking that um, you know Palace um, you know stole a win. But you look at some of the statistics, possession. Yeah, Chelsea had a lot of possession. But uh, when you watch the whole game, like I did, and you know the Palace fans that were there, it, it, you know Palace. Palace really did a job on Chelsea. Uh, you know, champions, you know, they're not playing that well at the moment, haven't started too well this season, but don't take anything away from Palace. We were superb yesterday, we really were. We took the game to Chelsea, even even 2-1 up, um, you know, five minutes to go, even in injury time, we were attacking with four or five players. I mean, that that is just something, yeah, that, that was just incredible to see. We weren't, certainly weren't parking the bus. Um, and even if some Palace fans were thinking when Chelsea got their goal back. You kind of think 10 minutes to go plus injury time. Fans could be, you know, I, I was similar myself. I thought, well, you know, a one-all draw at, uh, at Chelsea away from home, you know, I'll take that as a, you know, I'll take the point. Um, but Palace had no no idea of doing that. They, they, they had no intention of doing that and, um, and, and, and got some goal um, two minutes after Chelsea equalised, which... Yeah, there's some great performances out there from Palace. Uh, no less than Alex McCarthy made a few great saves for us. And to be fair, I can't see Sproni getting back in when he uh, uh, when he when he gets um, recovers from injury. He's he's training. I I know uh, it's it's going to be another three weeks away from um, regaining full fitness and uh, and that. But I can't see him displacing McCarthy. He's been a he's been a tremendous signing from us for us um, at the back. Damien Delaney had a real a real battle with Diego Costa um, throughout the game. And Damien Delaney's story is, is really is fantastic because he was released by Ipswich, his contract was cancelled with mutual consent and he was looking for a club. Came and joined Palace and, and the rest is history. I, I mean, he was, he was almost he was close to quitting football together and it, you know, it's just gone on from there. And I admit to saying that when we gained promotion, I thought he would be one weak link for us when we, uh, when we got promoted, but it's certainly far from it. He's been, I mean, that game just showed a lot of, uh, what he's all about. Um, he's retired from international football now, which is a shame. Um, John O'Shea has been getting in ahead of him for a public finance squad, which, um, I don't know quite how that happens, but he, he had a, he had a great, it was great watching him battle with Costa. Costa was losing his rag, which he does most games to be fair, but, uh, you know, it was it was pretty fair. Day. You know, Delaney was uh, given as good as he got in that in that battle. Elsewhere among the pitch, um, Bakary Sacco is outstanding again. Made his debut last weekend, scored, um, 
played again, started again yesterday and scored again. Um, absolute quality player. I mean, he's really given um, our current crop of wingers, uh, you know, something to challenge. You know, the players seem to seem to do well when uh, when they've got to fight for places and it's exactly what this squad is uh, is having to do. Connor Wickham running alone far up front, fantastic again. Really, really gives as good as he gets up. Pretty similar as I said to Delaney, he, he, he got bustled and... Uh, you know, around you know big defenders, but he just carried on doing it. Came back for more. Um, yeah, I could say a lot about individual players. The one to the other one to mention was Balassi. He came on in the second half, and he was involved in both the Palace goals. Um, incredible win, great performance all round, and we're sitting second on the table. Uh, am- amazing stuff, and uh, I'm enjoy it while we can. But I've got no doubt about it. Four games in, and we play Man City um, after the international break. So it's a top of the table clash. Looking forward to it. I want to talk a little bit about James MacArthur, who's a player whose name kind of gets buried amongst kind of all the stars that have kind of turned up or developed at Crystal Palace. Can you Mm. talk to us a little bit about what he brings to the team? Yeah, well, since he's joined us, he's impressed me with just his his engine. He he is the engine in the middle. Um, He's the mainstay in midfield. He does all the dirty work in the middle. Um, I always... Envisage Kabai joining Palace, being you know a, a, a you know a bit of a signing, you know, being a bit of class in the midfield. And while he does that, he does also do the dirty work as well. So it kind of helps MacArthur. But a great example of MacArthur was at Villa last week. Um, he was on the penalty spot when we were attacking. We had a, I think we had a corner which um, Kabai went to hit first time, um, and it it didn't go anywhere. It, it fell to one of the Villa players, and they broke on the counter. And MacArthur run from the penalty spot all the way back to his own goal line. And he cleared off a line. Uh, that just sums the guy up. He just runs non-stop for 90 minutes and more. Like running home after the game. He probably doesn't drive home and carries on running. <laughs> he just does the dirty in the middle, which a lot of people probably don't really see. And you probably don't see it if you watch a live game on TV. Um, you see it more if you're watching the game. You're at, at, actually at a live game, attending the game. Um, it, it's, it's been impressive. And just, you know, it'd be nice if you weighed in with a couple of goals here and there. But, you know, that's no 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 criticism at all. He really does do the dirty work in the midfield. And obviously, it's lost Jednak out of our starting 11. I mean, he mm. was, he's been a first-choice player for the last two or three, maybe more since he's been with us almost seven years now worked his way up from a bench and into the team and made made that position in the middle of his own um, and we have no place for him now um, simply because of the form that I can't have in. the only thing we do a little bit is some of the aerial um, yeah, ability in the middle but yeah McCarthy does his best there and we don't really play the ball in the air anyway it's you know, only when the other teams do but um, tremendous player tremendous athlete um, gets stuck in and can pass the ball I think the big thing uh, between Jednak and uh, McArthur is that Jednak lets himself down with his pass Ability, great at winning the ball, great heading, Penalties. and get stuck in. And yeah, exactly. And you know, Yenak can score a great free kick, scores penalties, but Carfra is just a little bit extra about him. He's been tremendous ever since we signed him, since he first uh, played for us. And sometimes you see him at the end of the game just on his haunches, absolutely shattered, but that's his game. Mm. All right, now, Jim, we have to talk about the elephant in the room. Leicester tumbling down the table, all the way down to third. How are you going to cope with this crisis? I'm not sure, to be honest. It's a slippery slope. Um, We've let ourselves down from top of the league a couple of weeks ago. Um, Only managed to get a draw at Bournemouth yesterday. No, seriously, it was was a game which I think we were a little bit lucky to take something out of yesterday. Um, We got dominated for large parts of the game, which isn't something that we've been used to seeing granted we've only seen four games but 
I think in every single one, even when we've not had the majority of possession, like the Tottenham game, for example, at home, um, we still created some half-decent chances. Um, whereas yesterday, for a lot of the time, um, we seemed to struggle creatively going forward. Uh, Mares came off at half-time, which wasn't ideal, um, because he's been the main creative outlet for us this year. As many people will know from watching the, the games, we started with um, a change in formation. So we kind of switched to a 4-1-4-1, four, one, four, one, um, a little bit more defensive, sacrificed Shinji Okazaki up front for an extra uh, midfielder in N'Golo Kante, which in theory is kind of a good idea, I suppose, after watching Bournemouth score four against West Ham. I think we were a little bit worried that they were going to be um, on quite a good attacking vein of form and just our first job seemed to be to nullify them a little bit. It didn't necessarily work, though. Um, they created the majority of the chances first half and you know they had plenty of possession in our half. Uh, Callum Wilson opened the scoring after about half an hour with an overhead kick, which you know was a fine piece of technical ability. Uh, not too dissimilar to the Norwich goal, actually, on the opening day against Palace that got disallowed. The, I think it was Cameron Jerome. Um, so it just goes to show, you know, on a different day, maybe it gets disallowed. But, you know, we've got no qualms with that. I think that should be perfectly allowed in the game. He wasn't particularly close to a defender. Um, so I don't think it could have been classed as a high foot and dangerous play from most referees. But there you go. We had a little bit of a better second half. Took Mahrez off, as I said, at half time. He took a bit of a knock in the first 30 seconds. He had a clash with um, one of the Bournemouth players on the touchline after about 25 seconds and landed quite heavily. I'm just not sure he was ever up to his, um, his, his full speed after that, which is a shame. But we changed things at half time. Okasaki came on and kind of reverted to the formation that served us so well. It was a little bit frustrating, to be honest, to see us change to a 4-1-4-1, seemingly for no other reason than to try and nullify Bournemouth's threat, particularly because we've been so good ourselves going forward. And I think it would have been nice to see Claudio to keep faith with the formation, if not the personnel that had got us the good results that we've had so far. That said, in the second half, we asserted ourselves a little bit more. We got a few uh, opportunities on the break. And after about 80 minutes or so, Jamie Vardy was put through on goal by Angolo Kante. Um, kind of gave the defender the slip with his textbook, kind of dropping of the shoulder, flicked the ball the other way, uh, got brought down in the area and probably as, as clear a penalty as you're likely to see this weekend. So no qualms with that. Steps up, dispatched it, even though Boric went the right way and got a hand to it did uh, well enough, hit it hard enough for it to kind of just rebound into the top corner. And then we did have a chance actually quite close to the end. Uh, Jeffrey Schlupp got to the byline, crossed the ball in, the keeper kind of palmed it up in the air and it could have gone anywhere. Came out to Jamie Vardy again on the edge of the area. He was kind of running away from goal to kind of retrieve a, a half clearance and got clipped again on the edge of the area. And I think maybe the referee thought, oh, I can't give them two penalties here in the space of five minutes um, in front of a home crowd that were decidedly quite pissed off probably conceding a goal um, so late on when they dominated. But then Bournemouth did go up the other end and all credit to them. I think Callum Wilson could have well won them the game with a, a penalty shout that got turned away. So he was uh, really, really good for them. I was impressed with him. Seen a lot of them in the Championship last year and he, that hat-trick against West Ham certainly seems to have fired him up. Um, he looked very, very dangerous every time he got the ball. But overall, I think a, a draw was probably a fair result. I think we were... We were probably the happier with the draw given that we were 1-0 down after 80 minutes and Bournemouth had a lot of the ball and a lot of the possession. But we'll take a point. We'll go into the international break unbeaten, which is, I think, quite a big, important um, 
milestone for us considering how well we did at the end of the season to kind of roll into this season, keep that unbeaten run going. We've got Aston Villa in the first game of the, uh, the return of the season in, in a couple of weeks' time. So that's a winnable game at home on a Sunday afternoon. We can target that and hopefully we don't pick up any injuries um, on international duty. Jamie Vardy's just been called up for the England squad as we speak again. So that's great for him. Really pleased to see him uh, make that step up again and get another chance in Roy Hudson's England squad um, for the forthcoming games against Switzerland and San Marino. All right. Uh, most of the offseason, we talked about how you needed to fill that hole that was left by Esteban Cambiasso. Enler is now in with the squad. Has he impressed you thus far? And do you think he'll be able to kind of duplicate what Cambiasso brought last year? It's interesting because it was our main perceived area of weakness. And I think, to be honest, it needed addressing. Um, the problem that we had was when we brought in N'Golo Kante and Gokhan Enler. Granted, N'Golo Kante came in a few weeks before Enler did. But the, the midfield pairing that we started the season with in Danny Drinkwater and Andy King started like an absolute train. They were brilliant. Um, Drinkwater and King both pitch in at the back. Uh, and King likes to go forward, whereas Drinkwater is going to play that holding role in, in central midfield more. Um, so it, it's been difficult because we've not had that much time to assess Inla, to be honest. He got he got half an hour, uh, 20 minutes uh, when he came on for Drinkwater at home against, uh, against Spurs. And then he got a full game against Berry in the League Cup. And then again, a, a few minutes here and there. So to be honest, we haven't seen enough of him. But from what I've seen of him at Napoli, I think he will offer us that influence in midfield. Um, it's not just the engine and the tackling and the, the passing ability that we're after. We've got players that are competent in that area. It's more that driving force in midfield that's going to pick the team up when you're 1-0 down. Um, have you know have a shoulder round the players that have made the mistakes and say come on we can get back into this and keep that team spirit going which is what Cambiasso was so good at he was a, such a good leader on the pitch it was that influential figure that we were after and I think given his pedigree you know he's the captain of Switzerland um, he's got 70-80 caps for them he's obviously played in, in some of the biggest competitions in Italy um, and, and won you know honours with Napoli, so fingers crossed that he can bring to the team what we were going to miss with with Cambiasso leaving. But I think he he was a good signing, and for five million, uh, he is thirty one. But for five million, it's a, it's a calculated gamble and one which you know I think the majority of fans are really pleased with. Awesome, thanks so much. Now for the Tottenham recap, as I mentioned on the last couple podcasts, I was out of pocket this weekend attending one of my best friends. Uh, bachelor party so we will be having our editor Seifu discuss what's been going on at Tottenham obviously a draw yesterday against Everton what did you take from that match uh, you know despite it being a nil draw you got the sense after the match yesterday that Tottenham fans were actually pretty happy with the squad's performance uh, we really grew into the first half and by the 20th minute we were pretty clearly dictating the tempo uh, we probably should have come away with the goal uh, Ryan Mason had this beautiful lob ball that kind of unlocked Everton's defense, and Harry Kane had a one-on-one -on -one with Tim Howard. Uh, I, I think Harry Kane's starting to get really frustrated because you can because he should have scored that, but the combination of him not having scored in the past four matches and Tim Howard just happening to have an amazing match, uh, just nothing happened, nothing went his way. Uh, our defense was really solid. And I think that's why uh, the fans aren't really upset 
because the really glaring flaw from last week's match was we had atrocious defending, and this time you really could see that they shored it up really well. Uh, Eric Dyer was a monster in midfield. He really did a good job of covering the space between our attack and our defense, and we were really missing that. Um, you know, at the beginning of the season, everyone was sort of questioning that decision, and it's starting to pay off dividends. Um, Eric Dyer seems like the kind of player that can just play anywhere and do an above average job. Uh, he had some fantastic tackles. I think there, the big controversial point was he injured Tom cleverly outside of our box. It could be construed as being really aggressive, but the tackle was clean. I think it was just something unfortunate that happened. You know, we didn't have attacking options, and it was really glaring. It was a really glaring issue yesterday. But with with Christian Eriksen missing, yeah, with Christian Eriksen missing due to injury, um, you know, Hangman's son, who we signed on Friday, you know, he doesn't have his work permit yet, and G is still considered to be preseason. I think he came from Lyon with a little knock, and he was part of the reason why Eriksen was injured in the first place. So. You know, our attacking solution isn't there. Dela Ali came on after Moussa Dembele was injured, and everyone's really hyping him up, but I don't think he's ready, quite ready for the for the Premier League. You know, he's willing to uh, jump into an attack and, you know, be that pivot in a 1-2 or take on his defender after bombing down the right side, but none of it comes off yet. And I think that composure is his missing piece. And I think giving him a good run in Europa League will be really good for him. But I think everyone just needs to sort of take a step back and not put so much pressure on Dela Ali yet. Kind of like with Mason and Bentaleb last year, how everyone was like, they're amazing. And then they hit a little rough in a form. And like, oh, they're awful. Get right. them out. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, Bentaleb did a pretty good job. He was he kind of had that angsty thing that he likes to do closer to the end of the game. Uh, Ryan Mason uh, deputized as number 10 for Christian Eriksen, and he did a pretty good job, actually. Um, the problem is he's not Christian Eriksen, so when he's the most forward player, when Harry Kane is pushing really deep into the midfield, he's not going to score a goal. He almost did, but he's just n not quite there yet. I think he'd be another great Europa League option as as the attacking midfielder instead of someone like Pritchard or... or uh, Ali. Or Ali, yeah, exactly. But I think what we're seeing are really positive signs from Tottenham. And I think if we can develop consistency this season, Pochettino will be fine. Mm. You know, He's not going to get sacked at the end of the season if he can build consistency within the squad. I'd agree with that. Any, any uh, holes that you think they still need to fill before the end of the window tomorrow or as you're listening to this? I don't actually think we need a midfielder. Mm, I think our options are okay. They're, everything is sort of in place. Dyer's going to grow into that defensive midfielder position. Um, our attacking options are pretty decent. We just need a striker. I think, you know, if Charlie Austin comes to us, that'd be great. Um, Talk of Berahino deal might not being as dead as Jeremy yeah, Peace employed. I, I think he'd be really good to come in too. Um, but if we had a striker, I think we'll be okay for the rest of the season. Mm. All right, well, we obviously let off the show with uh, Sean talking about West Ham's win over Liverpool. We talked about Jay's win over uh, Chelsea. And we talked a little bit last week about how kind of the mid-table clubs having money now is allowing them to hold on to their players. 
Like West Brom looks like they're going to keep Berahino. Southampton looks like they're keeping Mane and Wanyama. Everton are keeping John Stones. So we've already talked a little bit about the finances on that side. But this weekend, we really saw that, that these mid-table clubs have, uh, with the more money they brought in, they brought in excellent players that are really allowing them to contend at a higher level and beat these bigger teams. Do you think that that's going to continue, or do you think there's more kind of, of an outlier at the moment? Not really. Uh, you know, we see this every season, don't we? Um, we see a topsy-turvy start to the season where you know you get unexpected uh, no disrespect to Palace no disrespect to Leicester um, but you know we see and and you know West Ham were just the same you know West Ham were in Champions League spot until Christmas I may add um, it didn't last because you know may, maybe the, the teams play a little bit different and, and, the, and other teams get used to that um, but the depth and breadth of the big four means that really when you even it out across the whole uh, season, you know, you expect them to be up there really. I mean, that's not right Chelsea often say, you know, they're going to get relegated or, or Liverpool. You know, Liverpool, we thought at the beginning, will struggle anyway. Um, I think Benteke will offer a lot and, and so will Sturridge if and when he, he stays fit. But, you know, this is, this is the normal. What you've got to do is you've got to wait for 10 games and see how those 10 games play out before, you know, that we, we see uh, the other 28 and, and a normal order will be returned. And, you know, this is not just about the extra money um, because we've seen, that you know, that the bigger teams can always outpay and get better get players and uh, the, the mid-table teams, let's, let's call them, and I include West Ham in that as well. But, you know, uh, Swansea have up their game, Palace have up their game, Stoke have up their game. There's a number of, of teams now that, that really contend to that, that top 10 positions. Um, but there, there, there is a case, and I heard it mentioned earlier and over the weekend, of the problem is... It's playing at home. When you're playing away, and, and Jay may, may talk about this, you're a little bit more freer. You know, you can put... Slavin Bilic made a joke. Before we played Liverpool at the weekend, he talked about parking the bus and having a double-decker or a triple-decker. And after we won 3-0, and he said, well, of course, we parked the bus, if you want to call it that. But I took the handbrake off and I moved it around a bit. You know, it's about people getting, getting behind the ball and and get them on the break. We didn't have a lot of possession. I think we had only about 37% possession, but we were able to do it on the break, you know, and, and uh, Palace did the very same with Chelsea. So actually, what's happening is it's a little bit easier to play away from home. There's less expectations. We've got less to lose because we're sort of written off, certainly from a West Ham point of view, written off, you know, uh, Arsenal away and Liverpool away. So why not experiment with people like Reese Oxford and Yes, so we're playing Reese Oxford as a striker. He's a centre-back, for Christ's sake. So, you know, I think there's a lot more pressure at home um, and it's a lot more difficult to play. Your, 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 your home crowd demand attractive football and when, when teams like West Ham and Palace and so on and so forth are putting everybody behind the ball and if you want to call it parking the bus, parking the bus and trying to catch them on the break, it's very difficult to play your game plan. And I think that's what we're seeing but I'm afraid normal service will be resumed <laughs> after a little intermission. Yeah, I think what a lot of what Sean said is quite right. And 
alluding to Palace, very similar to West Ham, in that we have so much more freedom away from home. The way that we play, the pace that we attack, it, it just works for us. And it showed that last season in the way that we got more points away from home than we did at home. And teams came to Palace and shut up shop and, and came for a point and, and part the proverbial bus, as Sean mentioned. And we couldn't break teams down. Um, and, we, you know, we started better this year and we're hoping to to improve our home form but there's a certain amount of pressure when you play at home the crowd expects you to do uh, get results at home which is what any fan will hope you know picking up points away from home that you think is a bit more difficult but it seems to be for teams like West Ham Palace and, and, and such like is, is it seems to be a lot more freedom to play at home even, don't, even if you can see possession uh, like both teams did at the weekend it's you know it, it's, get, it's getting forward and, and being effective in, in, in that counter attacking which, which suits a lot of teams you alluded to the, the point that you know our, our mid-table teams catching the top four. I, I think Sean again said it's an intermission at the moment, and I'm not kidding myself. We're second table. I'll enjoy it for the next two weeks because we got an international break. It's a fantastic position to be in. If we're if we end up finishing comfortably in mid-table, I will still be as happy um, come the end of the season. Um, I would like to think that we can push on from last season, and, and that remains to be seen. But I'm not kidding myself to think that we can finish top four, top five, or even top six. But we have been allowed to spend a bit more money this summer because we are, for two seasons now, we finish eleventh and tenth, and there is a chance that we can. Mix it with the teams like you know Stoke have finished top ten, Southampton, Swansea. Those are the three teams that we want to try and be in the same category as effectively. And there's no reason why we can't. You know, this is our third consecutive season in Premier League. Three consecutive seasons, uh, a finishing like we have has given us an extra bit of money, which has allowed us to go out and buy the likes of Kabai, Wickham, um, and obviously uh, you know a, a few more in and around. On the flip side, you've st- Still got teams like Man City spending forty nine million on Sterling, fifty odd De Bruyne that's rumoured to be. They're still spending well, they're spending more money. So we can't compete with that kind of competition at all. And I, I still believe that the top four uh, will get back to being the top four as as it finished last season, but perhaps slightly different, uh, you know, finishing the top four this season. Liverpool, you know, I still think they're a kind of a fringe team anyway, pretty similar to as well. I did I mentioned to Kev a couple of weeks ago or maybe a week ago that they're in that position where they could be caught by, the, by teams like Southampton, um, Swansea, Stoke, you know, and and even us. You know, I like to think that we could be in that, that kind of position that the way we're playing at the moment. But like I say, I'm not kidding myself. We're, we're second in the table at the moment. Such a long way to go. I don't really judge the table until um, 10, 15 games in even really because it, really, it takes it, its proper shape around that time and, you know, you get some of the odd results out of the way but um, I'm not saying yesterday was an odd result but I'm yeah, I'm very happy with the way we started and long may it continue but I, you know I think I think there is something to be said that you know some of the teams um, could well be catching some others but certainly a top four and still in a bit of a league of their own even if they're in a bit of a full force position at the moment. Yeah I, um, I, I do agree with what Sean and Jay have said in terms of I'm not expecting the top four to be anything other than last season's top of four who were the top four the year before last, apart from Liverpool and et cetera, et cetera. Um, what I do think is that there's been a certain amount of overconfidence in several of the big, in inverted commas, teams this year, which has contributed to this we-can't-break-teams-down argument, um, particularly uh, away from home. Or, or, you know, teams come and they, um, they, they park the bus and 
that we can't break them down. If you look at the attacking options in teams like Chelsea, um, Arsenal, I've never really thought they've got the striker that they needed anyway, um, and Manchester United, you know, there's three of the top four who haven't either haven't improved their attack this year or in the cases of United and Chelsea are significantly weaker in that area due to players that have departed and they're all injured in Diego Costa's case. Um, he's clearly carrying an injury and is basically working at about 50%. And Jose Mourinho either hasn't moved to or hasn't been allowed to strengthen his team in that area. Now, whether or not that changes after uh, the defeat to Palace um, remains to be seen. But for what it's worth, I think there's been a certain amount of arrogance in that area with some of the big teams who think, yeah, OK, teams can come and park the bus, but we'll break them down. We'll win one and two nil. Um, and then we'll, you know, the, the title will be decided by who beats who in the top four. I think the money that has come in makes English teams now, you know, top. You can be, you can finish eighth or ninth in in the Premier League and be in the top twenty five, maybe even the top twenty in Europe in terms of the richest teams because of the amount of TV money coming in. And that's only going to go up exponentially next year. Uh, there's another huge increase coming, which is why there's so much pressure on the promoted teams to stay up because next year really is the the real kind of goldmine season in the Premier League's history uh, because it's when the new TV deal kicks in, which is worth so much more than the one now. Um, I think that's good for the competition because it means that teams like Palace, teams like uh, West Ham and Swansea particularly, I mean, Swansea haven't paid big, big, big fees for their, their players this year. I was watching an interview with Gary Monk after the game today, where they, uh, where they won, uh, and you know they beat they've just beat Manchester United. The player that got uh, man of the match in in that game was Au, and he was a free transfer from Marseille out of contract this year, and he convinced him to go there based on the style of football that they're playing and the, the project that he's building, and he bought into the Gary Monk philosophy. I'm sure he had big money offers from yeah, elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, because um, our chairman's son said, but he was on over 100 grand because he tried to come to us first. And Swansea, believe it or not, who, who were known for prudence in their wages, paid him over 100 grand a week, which is, well, I mean, which is outstanding. You know, it's it, amazing for someone like Swansea to play a player exactly. over 100 grand a week. I know he's a free but transfer also, and you pay for that. Five million pounds signing on fee as well, by the way. Yeah, but also, you've got to remember that if you're not paying a transfer fee, the value of that player in terms of wages, you can accept the fact that you're going to pay him six figures a week over three years because you're not paying him 10, 15 million to buy him in, in the first place. And, you know, so in terms of the total cost of a deal, that's not actually, I, you know, I mean, it is, it's astronomical for a club who finished outside of the top four or top five to be able to pay that amount of money. But I'm sure they're not the only team paying six figures outside of that elite in the, in the league this year. Um, the point is that if you are prudent with the money that you get, I think it, the gap is going to close to teams like Tottenham and Liverpool particularly. And if that carries on into the next three or four years, I'm not saying anyone's going to necessarily be able to compete with the top four, but I think it will be a more competitive league in terms of you won't be able to as accurately predict the top six positions outside of, you know, that, that top half of the table could legitimately change season on season because it, a lot of it may come down to the acquisitions that you make 
And if the teams above you aren't doing the business, like Tottenham, for example, are a perfect example. They have basically gone into this season with all their eggs in the Harry Kane basket. I know that they've just yeah. bought Sun in for a big money move. Again, they've paid 30 million euros for a player from the Bundesliga who, yeah, is, is a good player, but he doesn't solve their core problem. He's not going to get you 25 goals a season. He does fix and, our, face pro- our, our pace problem, though, which yeah, was a very big not, issue for us. your pace problem, but the fact of the matter remains that if you don't sign Berahino, Austin looks like he's going to go to Manchester United. If you don't get a player in who's going to score you 20 goals this year and Harry Kane doesn't find that ridiculously informed line that he found last year, there's every chance that Tottenham are going to be looking over their shoulders at a team like Palace or Swansea in yeah. nine months' time. It's a, it's a big gamble for them, though. You know, 120 uh, grand a week on a four-year deal. That's, you know, once you add in wages and, and signing on fee, that's 25 million in one player for someone like for a team like Swansea, who haven't got the biggest ground, who haven't got the biggest uh, brand. My only concern is when you start paying that kind of money to attract footballers to your club. At one point, it's all going to go bang. You know, everybody's supposed to oh, be obeying the I mean, financial that's, that's fair play. We've seen that year upon year upon year. Someone always goes, you know, it's, I suppose West Ham have got concerns this year, I guess, over the Olympic Stadium and stuff. Not that you're ever going to get relegated, but there is that kind of threat overhanging. Yes, and it's number, it number one priority because, you know, we're looking that we will easily sell out 54,000 seats and we can go up to 66,000 because that's how many seats are in, in the stadium, which would make us the second biggest stadium in London and the second biggest in, in the country but we've got to carry on doing stuff on the pitch it's not just about being in the Premier League because you have to be there to, to warrant the, the season tickets of course, I think but, but also you, you, want, you want on the play attractive football a, a football that people want to come and see really of course and, but the I mean, novelty will wear off really quickly the pursuit of attractive football has done for teams like Portsmouth and Leeds in the last you know, decade and Blackpool yeah. as well, who are up in the chamber or up in yeah, the Premier exactly. League, are, are I mean, now just a shambles. And I mean, th- their problem is slightly different because they just didn't spend any of the money that they had, um, and they've got an owner who doesn't want to part with the cash. Whereas, if you look at the Portsmouth uh, and Leeds situations, they were chasing the dream. You know, they were chasing that top four, pl- elusive top four place in a time where the top four wasn't quite as established as it is now, and they've fallen foul of that. You know, hopefully Swansea don't go that way. Um, hopefully, yes, they've paid a huge amount of money out, but hopefully it's being balanced elsewhere in the books. Um, they're a fan kind of run club with, in terms of their consultation on their board. So hopefully it's not you know, going to be a regular thing and they're not going to risk their financial security for the sake of that. But the point is that the, the, the money is there now to bring in players who you know, wouldn't necessarily have considered a move to the Premier League outside of the top four in the past five, six, seven, eight years. And I think that, in terms of the competition in the upper echelons of the league, is, is, is going to make it you know, quite an interesting proposition for those kind of eight to, eight to five places over the, next, uh, over the next few years. Can I just ask a question to Jay? Obviously, we were looking at Kabai, and, and when we were talking to him, he wanted 100 grand a week. What, what did you end up paying him, if, if you know? <clears throat> I, don't, I don't know what wages he's on, to be honest. Um... That's how much he wanted. But for me, it's... I, I know for a fact that's how much he was asking for when yeah. we were looking at him at West Ham. Uh, it, um, would it, it would surprise me if we went that high, but then, you know, I think we've made a bold move this summer in that, you know, 
I've said it before, do we continue to look behind us and continue um, just finishing in the Premier League or do we jump on the chance to improve on what we've already achieved in two seasons and make a few signings which will help us um, make that big step forward? You know, Kabai was... I've likened it to the signing of Lombardo um, all those years ago because that came out of the blue. You never had social media back then anyway. Um, that was a real big surprise because we signed somebody of such calibre that we never expected us to sign. Um, and Kabai is very similar to that. It kind of came out of the blue, um, although you do get a lot more <laughs> information these days or hints and suggestions that um, it, it, you know it's going to happen. Um, and I think he was... You know, he, we need we needed him to to strive to improve as much as he needed us to uh, strive to get back into the French squad for for next summer. Um, so I think it works for both parties. I do wonder whether he might move on next summer, depending on what happens this season. But um, I think the early signs are better. I think he's started well. Um, but back to your original point, I don't know what what wages he's being paid from Palace, but I, I'll be surprised if it's the same as you just mentioned. All right, well, that's well, my we, information. Uh, anyway, <laughs> sorry <laughs> sorry for hijacking that, that point, but it's, it, you know, I think it, it does add to that whole thing. You know, we know we talk about TV money went up, Kev, and yeah. we, we know the TV money. At the moment, you get £60 million for coming last. and the new TV deal, you're going to get £100 million for coming last. I'll tell you what, the money goes to only one place, players and agents, in, mm. in my experience. It's not the clubs that put it in their back pocket. The more well, ours TV is going to go to a stadium, get, but yeah. That's, that's no, 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 no. In, in reality, the more, you know, forget financial fair play because that, that runs out at the end of this season and who knows what will replace it. It's not had any teeth. As we've seen with QPR, QPR run rough, rough shot over the championship. We're, we're, they're supposed to have a £60 million fine. Nothing happened whatsoever. Uh, and it will be seen if anybody is chastised or anything happens. Yeah. And I defended stuff. City a lot last year because, you know, they got rid of Negredo, who was obviously a, a, one of the favorite players of Pellegrini. I was like, oh, well, this is fair, financial fair play. They had to sell a player to bring a player in. But now they've just brought in De Bruyne and uh, Sterling and Otamendi with no significant outgoing. So clearly that's not working. But that is a topic for several other pods. Um, uh, we're going to do a quick uh, new segment here called Form or For Real, and we're each going to talk about a player at our club to discuss the kind of the difference between their kind of uh, perceived value and how they've been playing recently. Uh, and so we're going to start off here with Jim. Uh, Jamie Vardy, you just mentioned uh, earlier in this, getting an England call-up again. I think he's on four goals now, if memory serves. Uh, is this how good he is, or, or do you think his form may dip going forward? I think... He is showing what he's capable of. Um, it's it's kind of difficult for us to judge, I think, on on the Vardy situation because he hasn't been playing at the top level for that long, and his rise through the ranks and the the kind of divisions of English football is pretty special. It's not something you necessarily see that much anymore. You see the odd player, uh, Chris Smalling, kind of springs to mind, goes from Maidstone to Fulham to Manchester United in the space of two years. Um, we picked up Vardy for a million pounds. He was the first million pound non-league player. Um, and he had scored, I think, upwards of 40 goals for Fleetwood, who got promoted from the conference to League Two, so the fourth tier of English football. Um, we took a chance on him when we were in the championship. He has since 
improved exponentially season on season. Um, and that is, has all kind of added up to this latest England call-up, which is his second one. Um, he started this season really well, but we knew he would. You know, it, it's difficult to judge with Vardy because the stick that's used to beat him with by fans who don't like the fact he's in the England squad is that he doesn't score enough goals. Now, he only got five last year, five Premier League goals, I think it was. Um, but his game is so much more than that. It's about pace and raw power, which you don't get with other options. If you look at who's in that squad, the, the four strikers that are in the England squad that's just come out, it's, I believe it's Walcott, Kane, Rooney and Vardy. Now, Walcott, yes, is raw power and raw pace, but he's got no confidence. He doesn't know which position he's supposed to be playing. He can't work out if he wants to be an, an out-and-out number nine like he, what he said he wants to be or whether he's just going to get shoved out wide when Olivier Giroud gets a game up top for, for Arsenal because he offers more in the air and as a target man. Now, Vardy is the only player who's going to get his head down and just take a player on and say, I'm going to knock it five yards past you and I'm going to beat you over the next 10-yard sprint. Now, that is something that England don't have and it's something that you do get in a lot of players but not a lot of strikers. You know, you get people like Rooney, who at his age is not the quickest. It was highlighted today against Swansea that he is, you know, he's not pacey. He's not the man you want. You, you want him on the half turn, not receiving the ball into feet. Whereas Vardy would turn and run at a player. Um, Rooney looks to move into that space and wants the ball fed into him when he's already got a yard of space. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's great for me to, to see him excel. And I think the reason that he's such a cool kind of legend at the club at the moment is the fact that he is that kind of um, boy from the park, you know, that, that rise um, story that comes from relative obscurity to Premier League, you know, what I wouldn't say star, but for us, he's a star because he offers something that very few other players do. Um, I'd like to see him get double figures this year because I think that would arrest some of the criticism that he gets from the wider footballing community that he doesn't score enough goals. But I think that will come with the fact that He's cemented that kind of starting role. He's the first name on the team sheet for us um, in terms of attack now. And we've got three of the players who can fit in round him with Joa Kramerich uh, and Okazaki. So, you know, fingers crossed that he's able to justify that. But I certainly don't think it's... Um, I certainly don't think he's running so hot that he's going to drop off. There'll be games, of course, where he gets frustrated and he does have that petulant streak where hopefully he doesn't show too much. But I certainly don't think he's kind of running at the top of his form. I think he's hopefully able to maintain that that level of um, intensity throughout the season. And if he does that, you know, he's going to get double figures for us this year. And I think then he'll be considered that, you know, in the, in the same league as some of the Premier League strikers who you see linked with clubs transfer window in and transfer window out because they can be relied upon to put you a shift in every week and get you goals. All right, thanks, Jim. Now, Sean, Dimitri Payet has already claimed many accolades from, from fan and media alike. Uh, what exactly does he bring to the West Ham team, and, and do you think he'll be able to continue it throughout the season? Well, obviously, his stats come from League One, French League One, where, where he got um, a hundred, sorry, 17 assists, 7 goals, and he created 135 uh, chances, which is more than Messi or Eden Hazard. Obviously, it's a different league. He's got to step up. He started really well, didn't he? He, he? he set up, he got the first assist in the Arsenal game for Chiarty and, and to get his goal. So one assist from one. Uh, and then he scored against uh, Leicester City as well. 
Um, he's been a bit quieter in, in the Bournemouth game, although he did contribute yesterday at the um, uh, Liverpool game. But, um, you know, it's early days. He's got the just to new league. Uh, but we hope, you know, that he's the real deal. You know, we only paid £10.7 million for him. And, you know, for that money, uh, and you know, you have to remember that we did really well with the Afro Sacco uh, for, uh, you know, three and a half million. You know, we, we've got our scouts out in the French League and we really think he's the real deal. Unfortunately, he's just been dropped from the French national team. Um, they don't think West Ham's a good location for him. They think he, he, you know, he's too good for West Ham, which is hilarious. But he, he has been dropped from his recent performances. But I think his early days, I think if he, if he, um, if he links up with Diafra Sacco, uh, who knows, even Andy Carroll when he comes back, or, or uh, Mario Zerati, or a new striker that we're going to buy in the next 24 hours, Hernandez, who knows. Um, then uh, I think, uh, I think that um, he could create a, an amazing partnership with a striker. And, and, you know, he would be the wild horse. If, if you, I know we're not talking about fancy league tonight, but I've got him in my fancy league. And I think he's won for, uh, you know, over the season, he's going to score a lot of points with a lot of assists and quite a few goals. Um, and I hope uh, he's a real deal. I mean, 10.7 million doesn't buy you very much in today's market, does it? Um, so it's a gamble, but not a, not a massive gamble. And, and uh, from everything I've heard from everybody, um, he's a real deal. All right, thanks, Sean. Jay, obviously a lot of big names at Palace as we've already mentioned, already mentioned James MacArthur kind of flying under the radar. The Bakari Sako deal got some surprising doubters for somebody coming in on a free. A lot of people saying he wouldn't be successful. Obviously, that has not been the case thus far. Is this who Bakari Sako is, or are you worried that he might dip? Yeah, I've been it. Well, I've been very impressed with Sacco, the way that he's conducted himself since joined. I've spoken to Wolves fans, and uh, and they've said exactly uh, to me what what we've got from him: um, strong, pacey, skillful, and he's one of these wingers. Uh, well, he can play in the striker role as well as behind the striker and out wide. But watching him play out wide like he does, he's got a little bit more than Zaha and Balassi seem to have in that they can be knocked off the ball. Not so much Balassi, but Wilf can still get knocked off the ball quite easily. Saka will just run defenders down, <laughs> literally run over them. He's he's such a big unit, but he's he's not be, you know he's not too big to be able to you know run with a ball and you know. Uh, you know, kind of step over and all that kind of stuff. He was doing it yesterday at Chelsea. He's been a really good addition to the squad. And like you mentioned, MacArthur under the radar, he's kind of coming under the radar because on a free, a lot of people thought, you know, why are we getting this guy? Um, you know, he's last season speaking for himself. I think he was the top scorer in the in the, uh, in the championship from uh, from a wide player. Uh, 15 goals he scored for Wolves. Um and I believe that he, he, he didn't agree a new deal for Wolves, so he was available on a free transfer. And I, I know that he was close to joining West Bromwich, and he, um, Everton also looked at him as well. Also had an Everton fan uh, message me yesterday saying uh, they wished they'd, uh, they'd given, given it a go because a free transfer, I mean, we're talking about gambles, but is there a gamble transfer? I don't think there really is. Um, his first game against Villa last weekend, very impressive. He started in the middle. Uh, we, as a team, were it wasn't a great first half for us, a bit lopsided, but he played in, in centre midfield and a yeah, decent few touches, but I think his position is kind of attacking out wide. Um, he moved to the wide position in that game and if, he changed the game for us, really. He, he won us the game with the goal. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me 
is something we've lacked from from wide players is that his stats from that Villa game he had six shots on goal and all six were on target um, and he scored with one of them yesterday at Chelsea he had five shots on goal and four of those were on target one was a goal that for me when you compare that to Blassi last season he had 19 shots on target last season uh, over the whole season I think that speaks volume and to add a plus calibre into the team will only help Balassi and, and particularly Zaha um, improve because they've got competition. I, I, I'm not keen on players in a, in a team where they don't seem to have much competition for that position. And, you know, we have that in abundance at the moment. Uh, yeah, well, it could well be if, he's, yeah, if he has a dip in form, but it gives us a chance to be able to rest Balassi if we need to for particular games. Uh, yeah, I'm saying this is a Palace fan resting players in the Premier League. You know, but if he's had a knock and you don't, you know, and we're, and, you know, we're playing a team that, you know, perhaps isn't suited to Balassi, but maybe more suited to a big guy like Sacco. I know Wilf's having a bit of a, you know, he's had a bit of a confidence crisis since he's come back from United. Um, so we're trying to ease him back in, but there was glimpses of him against in the cup last week. He had an outstanding game against Shrewsbury. Yes, lower lower league team, but you know, he needs the confidence back. And he had a good first half yesterday against Chelsea, uh, and Balassi came on for him. So for for me, I'm, I am. I, I'm itching to see more of Sacco as the season goes on because I think he could he could turn out to be the signing of the season. Yeah, I guess he's he's definitely impressed thus far, and and long may it continue as I uh, do cover Crystal Palace in one of my other jobs. So uh, definitely exciting seeing a talented player working out for you. Uh, for Tottenham, I'm going to talk a little bit about Harry Kane. As some of you may know, he's one of our own. Uh, not scored a goal yet this season. A lot of people starting to be concerned. As Jim mentioned, was he a one-season wonder? I agree that after not scoring in four matches, it's time to start having that conversation. I'm not ready for that conversation to be over and the answer to be, yes, it was just one season. Uh, He's played fairly well. I know the lesser game didn't exactly highlight him. Uh, But of all forwards, he has the second, nope, the most uh, chances created, actually. Uh, with eight, uh, he has nine take-ons, which is the most for any forward. Uh, he stands alone, unless you want to count Depay and Alexis Sanchez as forwards, which I'm not going to because that wouldn't help my stat at all. Um, but he's he's being as effective as he can be with the little amount of help he's getting. Did see a stat earlier today that Tottenham created the most clear-cut chances, but I think only three or four of them have been for Kane. Uh, as Seifu said, probably should have scored yesterday against Tim Howard, and I'd say that last year's Harry Kane would have. Uh, but I do think, you know, just as we're starting to doubt it, he comes off as a very confident young man, uh, switching to the 10 kit to be like his Tottenham idol, Teddy Sheringham, all of this. It's a lot of pressure, especially coming off of, you know, now England even relying on him, as you mentioned, called up again. Uh, things are happening very fast for him, and I think he finally got time to kind of catch his breath and realize how insane everything was. Um, and so I, I think a lot of that pressure is getting to him. But he is he's doing what he can on the pitch, uh, I know you said Sun isn't exactly what we need, but his pace was needed. Moussa Dembele injured in the match midweek means that either him or Clinton G will probably start on that right wing, which means we'll have a lot more pace, uh, another player willing to cross the ball in, uh, which is not really our biggest strength as an attacking option, which is a shame when you have a six foot two uh, striker in there that, that's very good with his head. So, yes, it's disappointing. We're, we're getting to the point where this question is now valid. Uh, in every way. But for me, I think it's still worth hanging on to him. We, do we need a second option? Yes. Uh, but but I think he'll, he'll be able to turn it around, and this is just a, a rough spell for him that will 
inevitably come to an end. All right, and we had many more things on the docket, but we are out of time. So if you'd like to tell people where to reach you or any projects you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, um, normal stuff. We are um, transfer day, so busy time. Uh, so yeah, two West Ham uh, blogs, clarentandhugh.info and uh, westhamtoiadie.com will be covering the, the transfer and uh, the ongoing Premier League and... Uh, we're doing lots of uh, interviews with ex-West Ham players on more than just a podcast, which is a West Ham podcast, and more is double O, as in Bobby Moore. Uh, last week, we interviewed um, Frank McAvenny, uh, who had a lot to say, and that, that's uploaded, and uh, you can listen to that. And we're about to speak to Jack Collison. Follow me on Twitter, at West Ham Football. Yeah, thanks for listening. I'm Jay. I'm editor of TheEaglesBeak.com, a Palace independent fan site. You can catch us on Twitter at TheEaglesBeak. I also write for StalkSport.com, which is a new sports website, so head on over and give that a read. And I also have a column in the Croydon Advertiser uh, Weekly, and that's about Palace as well. Um, I've also been doing some work with uh, a group called Palace Fan TV where we do um, sort of pre-match interviews with opposition fans. We also do monthly updates, uh, get a few fans together and just basically chat about how the season's gone so far. We did a, a first one, the end of season uh, review last season, which went really well. We're really happy with it. So hoping to do a few more for them. So um, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's Palace Fan TV. Um, and you can get me personally on Twitter at JD Eagle. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, I've been Jim. You can find me uh, on Twitter at JimKnight88. I do a lot of work for Goal.com where I'm the chief betting editor. So coming up to transfer deadline day, if you're listening to this before that, it's going to be a big time for us uh, in terms of keeping an eye on the ins and outs in the Premier League. Um, and I also do some stuff for wheelofbetting.co.uk as well. Um, one thing I would recommend, uh, I've mentioned it on, on my last appearance, but there was a really good interview on the uh, We Are Going Up podcast, which is a podcast that I was involved with uh, until very recently when Leicester got promoted. Um, it focuses on the on the Football League uh, and they've got a really good interview with Mike Calvin, who is an author who's just written a book um, called Living on the Volcano, which is about football management. He's got some really good stories from some kind of big name Premier League managers. Uh, Brendan Rogers is in there. Uh, I believe he's got a section with Gary Monk as well. Um, there's some really good stuff in there so definitely worth a listen if you're interested in uh, the uh, art of football management all right and uh, I'd like to first thank Seifu for for jumping in there and taking care of the Tottenham stuff for me Uh, I am on Twitter at Kevroth if you'd like to see my musings I'm over on blog.playtaga.com where I cover Crystal Palace, Sunderland and Tottenham and their fantasy prospects for the following match weeks I have a weekly article going up for Jay on TheEaglesBeak.com, where I give you kind of the best players to kind of bring in and take out of your uh, fantasy squad at each 1.0 interview price interval price-wise. Uh, so feel free to check that out. Do this podcast. If you're listening to this, then you've already figured out how to listen to it. But obviously out on Mondays and Fridays. And we do the fantasy podcast, which is out on Thursdays. So uh, if you like this one and you'd like a little more fantasy advice, feel free to tune into that. Uh, as always, if you'd like to reach us at this podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. It was a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Mm-hmm.